We're going to be continuing our series called Gritty Spirituality today and next week. Next week, we'll end the series. Today, we're going to be looking at just one verse. It's the third last verse of 2 Corinthians. And uh, I want to talk about the holidays and all those people, all those people are going to be a part of our holidays. And uh, next week, I'm going to talk about the very last verse of 2 Corinthians, which if you've been around here for a while, will be a fairly familiar verse, but I don't preach on very often. But today, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Now, of those three sentences, you could take the first sentence and the third sentence and put them on a Christmas card. The first sentence, rejoice, brothers and sisters, rejoice. And the third sentence, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Those are awesome. Now, Paul's not celebrating Christmas here, but you could put those on a Christmas card. But right in between those two sentences is everybody else that's going to be a part of our lives at this season. And he calls us to strive for restoration and encourage one another and be of one mind and live in peace. Great idea. Not just for the holidays, but all the time. And we, we, have, we have some wonderful people in our lives. If you're a student, uh, we, we're praying for you, by, this, this, by the way, this week for finals. And uh, uh, you, you'll probably maybe, when you're out studying, you'll be hanging out with friends a little bit more. Maybe at school, you'll be having extra social activities with your friends. Uh, maybe your company is about to have or has already had this past week your company Christmas party. Uh, you're going to be hanging around with people. There's going to be all those people. Some people you may not even normally choose to hang around with, but you're going to have all those people in your lives. Thank God for people. Thank God for friends. Uh, what a great gift. Others of us will have family that will bring us together, that we'll be with. That's why we were gone, Sandy and I, last weekend. Thanksgiving holiday brought together our family. And uh, last Sunday, a week ago, was our grandson's first birthday. Here's a picture of him right here. And uh, yeah, he's a heart stealer, we found. And um, I snapped that picture Monday morning just before we flew back here to Springfield. And we were playing together on the floor. His name is Paxton James, Sebastian. And many of you prayed for him. He was born a month and a half early over Thanksgiving weekend last year, and many of you prayed for him. Thank you. He's doing great. Just celebrated one year. We're, 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 we're so grateful for that. So this is the not that hard part of being with friend, family at, at, at the holidays. It's, it's that. But we also not only have friends and family members, but we have partners. And there's been something in our own partnership as a church that's happened very miraculously the last, couple, the last few weeks. And and uh, I, I brought a picture that I took a few months ago of our partner church, Freedom City Church, who was our missionary of the week because we continue to support them monthly like we do other missionaries. We contribute about 1000 a month to Freedom City. And I love that sign, don't you? Welcome felons, junkies, and saints. And they are reaching felons and junkies. 
And they're reaching saints. All kinds of people coming out of prison, all kinds of drug addicts being delivered almost every Sunday. They see people set free by the power of God and saved, come to Christ. And, and they have saints. They just love that environment and love what's happening. And, and so together, our, our church reaches certain people. They can't. They reach certain people. We can't. But we're, we're partners. It's gotten a little exciting, though, the last few months with them because the wonderful building that they have uh, is due for a refinance, a balloon payment of, of uh, $643,000 coming up in two months. And we've been, we're grateful for Bruce Webb at AG, uh, Assemblies of God Credit Union, and others. We've been trying to figure out how can we get f financing. Because first of all, they need to have good financials. And the pandemic hit them really hard. They're a cash-based offering church. Uh, with the people they're reaching, and so the pandemic last year really hurt them financially. They're still trying to come out of it, so their financials didn't look quite good enough to get refinancing, and on top of that, they were told, we'll never refinance this place un unless you get a new roof. The roof was leaking. It was just... So we stepped in this past year, and we completely replaced their roof. And uh, this is a be before picture of the roof and all the leaks, and this is an after picture. And it cost us uh, nearly $70,000, but we, we were able to completely replace the roof so that, so that there could be long-term viability. And uh, you can see this aerial view. They're like a seven-day-a-week ministry center. They, they, right here in the Grant Beach area, and, and if they lost that building, it would be such a handicap to what they're doing every day of the week and reaching people. And, and so we, we, that, all that new roof, thank God for your generosity for doing that. But we're still trying to figure out how, how can we refinance this balloon payment of $643,000 and then a miracle happened. It's a picture of unbelievable partnership. But James River Church two weeks ago, Pastor John Lindell, the other Pastor John, he got up and he said, we want to give a gift. And this happened last Sunday morning at James River. They raised in a week the entire amount to completely pay off that building. $643,000. Thank you, Jesus. And I wrote Pastor John Lindell at James River this week. I said, thank you for what you did to step in and advance ministry in North Springfield and he wrote me the kindest note back and he said he said we stepped in now but you're the guys who have been who've been their partners for years now thank you for what you did and it just became just this wonderful experience of partnership because we're not here competing we're here com we're, we're we're here together to complement one another and, and and to do this together and you know Every individual and every church. There's some things only we can do and only God's called us to do. But at the other hand, none of us as individuals or churches ever reach our potential alone. And I love, I love what was modeled here of just part.
partnership, not competing with other churches, but buying a church building for somebody else or replacing the roof thanks to your generosity. And we've given another 30000 to to starting up a fundraising campaign for their Hope Homes a Teen Challenge Center. And, and so we've invested about $100,000. James Rivers done this, plus is going to help to replace the air conditioning rooftop units for them. And they've actually done more than this to say we want you to know that God has that God has seen your faithfulness and it's become incredibly encouraging pastor John Allred from Freedom City he texted me late last night and he said I have no words it's like God gave us a breakthrough and given us what we need to move forward and so thank God for that and God for partners in our lives Thank God for the people who are helping you reach your potential. And thank God for the people in our lives who are helping us reach our potential and as a church. And thank God for what he's, he's doing. So we wanted to celebrate that moment as we think at this Christmas season, the amazing partners, the amazing family members, the amazing friends that are a part of our lives. And uh, let's read verse 11 one more time. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. We're doing that this morning. And strive, speaking of those people, those family members, those partners, those friends, strive for full restoration and encourage one another like we've seen done this week. And be of one mind and live in peace. Don't live in competition. Don't live in strife and resentment. Live in peace with one another. And the God of love and peace will be with you. It's a stellar verse. And out of it I get, as we, before we conclude, I just see four pieces of holiday advice I'd like to leave with you today out of that one verse. Four pieces of holiday advice. And the first one's a little tongue-in-cheek, but I mean it seriously. Dare to thank God for the people who drive you crazy this season. I want, this is a dare. This is a dare. I want to dare you to thank God for the people who drive you crazy. Well, where is that in this verse? Well, it's in the first sentence where he said, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Now, brothers and sisters is very affectionate. He He started this church. He loves this church. And whenever you say to somebody rejoice, you're kind of saying, it's kind of like a blessing. It's like, like... I'm wishing for your well-being. I just pray you'll overflow in gratefulness for all that God's doing in your life and everything. But the thing that stunned me about that sentence was in in the previous chapter, Paul tells them straight out, you're driving me crazy. I mean, read it for yourself. Chapter 12, verse 11. I made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. Said, I'm acting like a crazy man. You're, you're backing me in a corner. You're making me think I started your church and you're making me think I'm not that, I'm not that important anymore. And, that, and you got preachers you like way better. And so you're not listening to what I'm saying to you. You're going after people who are telling you what you want to hear. And you got to deal with some things in your church life. And, 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 and so I'm having to kind of reassort, reassert my influence with you. And I hate to do it. You are driving me acting crazy here, trying to defend myself. I ought to have been commended by you, for, for I am not in the least inferior to all those quote-unquote super apostles 
even though I am nothing. And then he's frustrated because they're just not getting it. I mean, all these people saying, Paul, he's got great letters, but man, when he's in the room, he kind of lacks charisma. And actually, this is in the Bible. People fell asleep while he was preaching. That's actually in the Bible. This guy falls asleep and falls out of a window while Paul's preaching, believe it or not. And it's all right there. And they're thinking he's not that great at communicating. I mean, his letters are pretty like, mm, but he, he just, you know, and we got these preachers we like way better. And, you know, and we wish he had somebody who didn't look so short and beat up all the time. And, and we wish he had somebody with charisma, apostle we could be proud of. And he's going, he's pulling his arrow. He's going, you guys just don't get it. Like the next chapter 13, verse 4, to be sure he, Jesus, was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him. Don't you get that? We're not, we're not looking for clout in the world's way. We're looking for the power of the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't work through our charisma. He works through his power. And he said, you guys just don't get it. We, we are weak in him, but yet by God's power, we will live with him in our dealing with you. God's power is what comes through. And you guys, your values are all wrong. You're sizing me up. And, and, and you don't get what it is to follow the cross of Jesus Christ. It's about being weak so that he can be strong. This is the cross theology. And so he's saying, you're driving me crazy. You're making me act crazy, and you're not getting it. And then seven verses later, he says, oh, but brothers and sisters, rejoice. That's why I say to you, how about, how about thanking, at least start by thanking God for the people who are driving you crazy this season. That's where Paul starts. And then... As you're engaging these people, look for commonalities and ways of connecting, uh, no matter who those people are. Just begin, you know, sometimes we're not wired this way to look for that first. But look what he says. He says, strive for restoration and encourage one another. And that restoration word, or sometimes it's translated perfection or completion, like there may be need to be some reconnecting in some of our lives. Some of us have damaged relationships, and we're kind of waiting for the other person to take the first step. And the Apostle Paul is saying, no, strive. That's a strong verb, by the way, strive. I mean, not if it's convenient. But strive for full restoration with the people around you. And it may not always be possible, but we at least strive for this. So you may need to be praying, God, at this season, give me some conversations that will help reconnect a broken relationship. I kept an email in my files that was written to me by a, a wonderful godly lady in our church a number of years ago. And she was saying, Pastor Jim, in, in a couple of your sermons recently, you have talked about the need to forgive people that have hurt us, to build bridges back, to maybe be the ones ourselves that initiate something rather than waiting for them to do it. And she writes me, she said, uh, she said, the first time you said that, I let it slide. <laughs> but the second time you said it, on another Sunday, I knew in my spirit that I had to write a couple of letters before I could progress in my walk with God. I had to write a couple of letters with people 
where there's broken relationship, people that are hurting me. Then she said this, I am a 65-year-old who accepted Jesus when I was a child. And so this might sound strange, but since I obeyed God and wrote those letters, I feel like a new Christian. Everything in my devotional life, the worship and the preaching has become suddenly so fresh to me now. It's like we, we know Jesus said if we carry bitterness, unforgiveness, it like chokes us spiritually. But I want to tell you, strive to reconnect. You know, it could be part, and it may be a letter, it may be a conversation, maybe neither of those are, are appropriate, but somehow, at least letting go of the offenses in your life and allowing Jesus' life to spring freely in you again, if for another re no reason than for your spiritual walk, let alone somebody else's. Paul said, strive for full re restoration and then encourage one another, encourage one another. And this means that we need those attentive eyes. Our five core values are in the lobby out here, and the second one is attentive eyes, which means we want to look at people with Jesus' eyes, not with our prejudices and preferences. And, and so sometimes, you know, we have these default settings when we meet people, especially people we're not used to being around or that Christmas may bring us around people, you know, because all of us, you know, there's that weird uncle, there's that crazy cousin, there are those people who drive us crazy. I mean, so our default position sometimes is to, say, is to ask ourselves, is to just focus on how different they are from us. What if instead of focusing on that, we focused on ways in which we could find something in common. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God gave us those kind of attentive eyes that every time we met a person, our first thought is not how different they are than me or, or how they kind of bother me, but how can I, what do I have in common with that person? Then maybe a conversation could start there. Or you could at least, you, you could at least identify something. You could encourage them about. I just, no matter who those people are, here's how we thrive in relationship. We, we don't start with, oh, they're really different than me. We, we start by just automatically looking for what we might have in common, what I might be able to encourage about that person. And sometimes, you, you know, we even find ourselves saying, oh, how can I stay away from that person? I hate to admit it, but I think that sometimes. And it's never a good feeling when you find people, you're in a group, and people are all talking to each other, looking each other in the eye, but they don't talk to you and they don't look you in the eye. And they even seem to make a point to walk around you and to consciously avoid you. Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, what if instead we rebuild connections and we really encourage one another? So the first question is not how can I avoid them, but how can I find a way to find something to be interested about? in their life. Even if you can't find a commonality, at least something to be interested about. Try to find something you can engage them about, encourage them about. And, and, and the first question is not, and sometimes we get fixated on, on what don't I like about that person? What is it that bothers me about that person? And I get bothered by people. There's some people who just bless me and there are some people who bother me. And um, you know what, I especially then have to get off being focused on that question, like, like what don't I like about them? To how, how can I look past, to be honest, my own preferences and my own prejudices and figure out a way of reaching their heart? So Paul says, strive for full rest restoration, encourage one another, 
And even with those you don't agree with, even with those people you bother you, even with those people that you find it a little harder, and you find yourself just ignoring people, when, you ought to, when you're a Jesus person, you ought to be just touching them and somehow encouraging them. Um, our default position can be something other than criticalness and avoidance. Our, our default position can be constant, immediately looking for things I have in common with that person or something I could be find interesting about their life. And it just encourages people when you, you're interested in them. And, and it just changes the whole playing field. And, and it just helps you, and especially with people that you just, you're just having trouble with. Um, you know, praying, God, help me to reach their heart. They have a heart underneath whatever is bothering me. And it helped me to really reach their heart. Now, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, 150 years ago, it's like he had just been on Facebook when he wrote these words. For us to hate those who are in error or talk of them with contempt or wish them ill or do them wrong is not according to the Spirit of Christ. You cannot cast out Satan by Satan. You cannot correct error by violence nor overcome hate by hate. You cannot overcome hate by hate. The conquering weapon of the Christian is love. And everybody said, amen. And everybody said, ouch. It's much easier to amen this than to live it. But especially when everybody's so upset and angry, everybody amazes me how easily everybody seems to be. Like you say the least thing and they're just so offended. And we just live with this baggage that strangles us spiritually. And Paul said to these people that drove him crazy, he said, first of all, I want you to rejoice. I want you to live in the fullness of God's blessing. But I, but I also want you to strive for full restoration and to encourage one another. And then, and then, then he said he, he, his third piece of holiday advice w- w- would be this, stay focused on what's important and not what you prefer. That's a big one. My wife has to do this with me once in a while. I don't clean up, up after myself in the kitchen or leave my socks on the floor or I usually make the bed in the morning, but sometimes I forget. And so what she has to do is focus on what's important, not on the jerk I can be some days. She has to focus not on the socks I left on the floor, but on the fact that we're in covenant relationship. We pray as we spent part of last night praying together. And we're trying to parent together and we're trying to fulfill Jesus' call on our lives together. We're trying to honor one another. That's what's important. Rather than being fixated on, I'd really prefer he clean up the kitchen after himself. And, you know, she finds nice ways of telling me I still need to clean up the kitchen. But I want to tell you, some of our, our marriages are, are just being beaten down and poisoned because we just start, you find yourself just thinking more about what that spouse is not rather than the strengths, the essential things that, that, that really, the reason we got married in the first place and the things that will keep us in a strong marriage. And so this is important in marriage and it's important in churches. And so my friend, Pastor Rod Loy, he helped me with this. And I'm paraphrasing him a bit here. He says, we talk in our membership class in our church, we talk about three words, essentials, 
traditions, and preferences. And you got to sort those words out, and you can't make them synonymous. He said, you start with essentials. This is what we believe. We believe God created our world. He loved us so much. He sent his only son. He was born in Bethlehem. He died on a cross. He rose again. He can forgive our sin. He can come into our lives. We just, that's why we as a church are about God, people, and purpose, connecting people to God. We just believe that people can have a living relationship with God, that every human being we will meet, whether they know it or not, needs God. We believe every human being needs to love and be loved, that we're in a community, in a spiritual family. And we believe that every person needs a person and every person, if they're born, has a divine calling on their life and a purpose in their life. I mean, these are the essentials. Those aren't necessarily my preferences, but they're the essentials. And then you go from essentials to traditions. And uh, an example of a tradition would be the unity candle. Now, if we chose not to do unity candle this year, which is a, which is a wonderful, for, for years has been a Christmas tradition here, it wouldn't change any of the essentials. But yet traditions are important. Sometimes we're trying to dis disconnect with traditions. I love the way Cynthia prayed today. Lord, this, these, lighting this candle unites us with your church all around the world, celebrating and, and anticipating your coming. And, and the symbols are not the essentials, but the symbols keep us connected to the essentials. And the symbols also, the traditions also Keep us tied into the flow of 2,000 years of church history where, where, where we're saying we're not so cool that, 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 that we don't do anything that people for 2,000 years have been doing to honor Christ. I mean, these things connect us with the flow of history of what Jesus has been doing in our world. They, they, they are a way of affirming the essentials of reminding ourselves as Anthony lit that candle right there that Jesus is the light of the world. That's the essential. I mean, whether we light a candle or not, it doesn't change the essential. He's still the light of the world. But our traditions keep us connected. We don't want to be so traditional that our traditions replace the essentials. That's the problem we fall into with tradition. That's the danger of tradition. That outward, outward symbols replace intimate relationship with Jesus. But yet, that doesn't mean traditions don't have an important place. So there's essentials, and then there's, there's traditions. And the traditions are negotiable, right? In a way, essentials are not. But then my pa friend, Pastor Rod, would say, but then we have the preferences. And here with the preferences, you could cross that word out and just write opinions. You know, and to be honest, in our church, we have Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and Independents and people who wish they never heard of politics. And we have people who wear masks and don't wear masks. We have people who get vaccine and don't get vaccine. I mean, we have everything. I mean, I want to tell you, churches are being torn apart in Western civilization these days over opinions. They're not really the essentials that Jesus came to transform our lives, but they're the opinions. When I was pastoring on the West Coast, I had a board member. He, he was a CEO, a wonderful guy. He became a personal friend, a CEO of a very successful company. And in, he was one of the elected board members like we have here. And we were sitting in a board meeting, and uh, he was in a polite way to say, our music on Sunday mornings is not what I prefer. I think he, he was sort of, he would prefer probably something pretty Southern gospel and things like that. It was different than what we were doing on Sunday morning. But he gave us a wonderful object lesson. 
He said, to be honest, I stand there and worship Sunday morning and I sometimes don't like the music. But then I look over there and there is my adult son. In one arm, he's holding my grandson and with the other arm, he's lifting his hands in worship to Jesus. And he said, I realize that there's something more that I want. I want more than just my preference in music. I want a church where my kids and my grandkids want to come. I want a church where people are encountering God. And in a way, he was just giving us like a for instance of an object lesson of the difference between preferences and essentials. And the essentials are mission. The essentials are Jesus, his presence among us. And, and other things become preferences. And what, what does Paul say here? He said, be of one mind and live in peace. That's what he's been saying. That's what he says right there in verse 11. After saying, you know, you know, work towards reconciling and encourage one another, he said, be of one mind and live in peace. And we'll never be of one mind and we'll never, because he's not saying agree on everything, we'll never be in one mind, we'll never live in peace if our primary preoccupation is with preferences. And I want to tell you, if you're anywhere where, where wherever you are, it always gives you what you want and what you prefer, it'll never mature you. It may spoil you, but it will never mature you. It's not even good for us. But, but it certainly can divide us when that's the center of it all. But instead, instead he said, be of one mind and live in peace. Boy, dare to thank God for the people who are driving you crazy. Start training yourself to look for commonalities and ways to connect with people no matter who they are. And, and stay focused on what's important, not just what you prefer. I mean, this stuff is solid gold. And then he reminds us that we need to start with Jesus' grace in our hearts in Jesus' love, with Jesus' own grace in our hearts. Let's read the whole verse again. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. That's the, that's the thank God for the people who are driving you crazy part. And then strive for full restoration, encourage one another. That's still looking for commonalities and connections. Be of one mind and live in peace. That's, that's focusing on the most important things, the essentials. And then he, there's one more sentence and the God of love and peace will be with you. Now, what a thought that is. That these days, you could actually have love and peace in your heart. I mean, what a stunning idea. One famous preacher put it this way, relationships are not working. Consumption is not satisfying. Therapy is is expensive, heartbreak is universal, and escapism has become the law of the land. Our younger daughter teaches public middle school. She's a theater teacher in San Antonio. Like three days ago, she said to us on the phone, after dealing with middle school students with suicide preoccupations, and she said, my students are so angry all the time. Once in a while, fights break out in our classroom. She said to us, this past week, I felt more like a counselor than a theater teacher. 
What if you could actually have love and peace in your heart? And you don't get it by gritting your teeth and saying, okay, I'm going to be nice to this person. I mean, if it's the death of me, I'm going to be nice to this person. No. Jesus has to live in the heart of hearts. Jesus' grace, which forgives you and loves you before you ever loved him and sets your heart free and puts supernatural love. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, the Bible says when we meet Jesus. He can give you love and he can give you peace. It can be supernatural. You may have people all around you that are yelling at you and disagreeing with you, but you are a happy camper because you can have love and peace, not because you're particularly impressive, but because you've humbled yourself before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the one who was born to meet you where you were and die with your sin on him so that you could have his transforming power in your life. May the Lord of love and peace be with you. May the Lord of love and peace be with you. May you live it. May you be transformed. May you walk. And indeed, back to verse 1, may you indeed rejoice.